We want to take a second to thank you for supporting Womance by listening to our podcast. One great way that you can continue supporting us, including those listens, is hitting subscribe, telling a friend, leaving a review. That stuff all really matters. Sharing it on your personal social media is another great way to spread the word about Womance. And another option for supporting us, if we may be so bold, is to recommend going to our Patreon, where you can donate as little as a dollar a month to help us spread the word of woe. If you want to contribute more than a dollar a month which obviously no pressure whatever you've got we are so appreciative to have but we have awesome gifts for you if you want a hand addressed letter from morgan and isabeau maybe with some special whoa stickers other merch just uh, visit our patreon we are womance on patreon or is it patreon.com forward slash womance we would be very proud to call you one of our patrons Uh, Welcome back, everybody, to the Pride and Prejudice public access read-along with Womance. My name's Morgan. I read the odd chapters. My name is Isabeau, and I read the even chapters. And this week, we are embarking on chapter 43. Isabeau, can you tell us what happened in chapter 42? Catch us all up. In chapter 42, uh, Elizabeth went on a sweet vacation with her coolest relatives, the gardeners. Wickham is gone, Kitty is gone, Lizzie is gone, Jane's watching the kids, and uh, Mrs. Gardner's like, hey, we're gonna go to the Lake District in uh, Derbyshire, and I'd like to check out this uh, house that maybe you're familiar with from my girlhood. It's called Pemberley, it's kind of famous, it has really lovely grounds. Uh, what do you think? And then Lizzie's like, oh, I don't know, fancy houses. And then she asks a local serving wench at the tavern whether or not the master's home. And then the lady was like, don't worry, none of these great lords are at home during the summer. And Lizzie's like, yeah, sure, auntie, let's go see this house, Pemberley, whatever. And uh, to Pemberley, therefore, they were to go. All right. And Pemberley is the house of? One Lord Darcy. If you're this far with us, you know what Pemberley is. I think it's worth a quick reminder. I forget the names of the houses. I had no idea what you were talking about that entire time. It's also the name of his penis. (laughs) That is non-canonical. With that, chapter 43. Elizabeth, as they drove along, watched for the first appearance of Pemberley Woods with some perturbation. And when, at length, they turned in at the lodge, her spirits were in a high flutter. The park was very large and contained a great variety of ground. (laughs) They entered it in one of its lowest points and drove for some time through a beautiful wood, stretching over a wide extent. Elizabeth's mind was too full for conversation, but she saw and admired every remarkable spot and point of view. They gradually ascended for half a mile and then found themselves at the top of a considerable eminence, where the wood ceased and the eye was instantly caught by Pemberley House, situated on the opposite side of a valley into which the road with some abruptness wound. It was a large, handsome stone building, standing well on rising ground, and backed by a ridge of high woody hills, and in front, a stream, of some natural importance, was swelled into greater, but without any artificial appearance. Its banks were neither formal nor falsely adorned. Elizabeth was delighted. She had never seen a place for which nature had done more, or where natural beauty had been so little counteracted by an awkward taste. 
They were all of them warm in their admiration, and at that moment she felt that to be mistress of Pemberley might be something. They descended the hill, crossed the bridge, and drove to the door, and while examining the nearest aspect of the house, all her apprehensions of meeting its owner returned. She dreaded lest the chambermaid had been mistaken. On applying to see the place, they were admitted into the hall, and Elizabeth, as they waited for the housekeeper, had leisure to wonder at her being where she was. The housekeeper came, a respectable-looking elderly woman, much less fine and more civil than she had any notion of finding her. They followed her into the dining parlor. It was a large, well-proportioned room, handsomely fitted up. Elizabeth, after slightly surveying it, went to a window to enjoy its prospect. The hill, crowned with wood from which they had descended, receiving increased abruptness from the distance, was a beautiful object. Each disposition of the ground was good, and she looked on the whole scene, the river, the trees scattered on its banks, and the winding of the valley, as far as she could trace it, with delight. As they passed into other rooms, these objects were taking different positions, but from every window there were beauties to be seen. The rooms were lofty and handsome, and their furniture suitable to the fortune of their proprietor. But Elizabeth saw, with admiration of his taste, that it was neither gaudy nor uselessly fine, with less of a splendor and more real elegance than the furniture of Rosings. <laughs> and of this place, thought she, I might have been mistress, but these rooms I might now have been familiarly acquainted. Instead of viewing them as a stranger, I might have rejoiced in them as my own and welcomed to them as visitors my uncle and aunt. But no, recollecting herself, that could never be. My uncle and aunt would have been lost to me. I should not have been allowed to invite them. This was a lucky recollection. It saved her from something like regret. She longed to inquire of the housekeeper whether her master were really absent, but had not the courage for it. At length, however, the question was asked by her uncle, and she turned away with alarm, while Mrs. Reynolds replied that he was, adding, "'But we expect him tomorrow with a large party of friends.' How rejoiced was Elizabeth that their own journey had not by any circumstance been delayed but a day. <laughs> her aunt now called her to look at a picture. She approached and saw the likeness of Mr. Wickham suspended amongst several other miniatures over the mantelpiece. Interesting. Her aunt asked her, smilingly, how she liked it. The housekeeper came forward and told them it was a picture of a young gentleman, the son of her late mastered steward, who had been brought up by him at his own expense. He has now gone into the army, she added, but I am afraid he has turned out very wild. Mrs. Gardner looked at her niece with a smile, but Elizabeth could not return it. And that, said Mrs. Reynolds, pointing to another of the miniatures, is my master, and very like him. It was drawn at the same time as the other, about eight years ago. I have heard much of your master's fine person, said Mrs. Gardner, looking at the picture. It is a handsome face, but Lizzie, you can tell us whether it is like or not. Mrs. Reynolds' respect for Elizabeth seemed to increase on this intimation of her knowing her master. Does that young lady know Mr. Darcy? Elizabeth colored and said, a little. And do not you think him a very handsome gentleman, ma'am? Yes, very handsome. I am sure I know none so handsome, but in the gallery upstairs you will see a finer, larger picture of him than this. This room was my late master's favorite room, and these miniatures are just as they used to be then. He was very fond of them. 
This accounted to Elizabeth for Mr. Wickham's being amongst them, and to Morgan and Isabeau as well. (laughs) Generally, the audience. Thanks, Mrs. Reynolds. (laughs) Mrs. Reynolds then directed their attention to one of Miss Darcy, drawn when she was only eight years old. And is Miss Darcy as handsome as her brother? Said Mr. Gardner. Pervert. Oh, yes, the handsomest young lady that ever was seen and so accomplished she plays and sings all day long in the next room is a new instrument just come down for her a present from my master she comes here tomorrow with him mr gardner whose manners were easy and pleasant encouraged her communicativeness by his questions and remarks mrs reynolds either from pride or attachment had evidently great pleasure in talking of her master and his sister is your master much at Pemberley in the course of the year? Not so much as I could wish, sir, but I dare say he may spend half his time here, and Miss Darcy is always down for the summer months. Except, thought Elizabeth, when she goes to Ramsgate. <laughs> if your master would marry, you might see more of him. Yes, sir, but I do not know when that will be. I do not know who is good enough for him. Mr. and Mrs. Gardner smiled. Elizabeth could not help saying, It is very much to his credit, I am sure, that you should think so. I say no more than the truth and what everybody will say that knows him, replied the other. Elizabeth thought this was going pretty far, and she listened with increasing astonishment as the housekeeper added, I have never had a cross word from him in my life, and I have known him ever since he was four years old. This was praise of all others most extraordinary, most opposite to her ideas. That he was not a good-tempered man had been her firmest opinion. Her keenest attention was awakened. She longed to hear more and was grateful to her uncle for saying, There are very few people of whom so much can be said. You are lucky in having such a master. Yes, sir, I know I am. If I was to go through the world, I could not meet with a better. But I have always observed that they who are good-natured when children are good-natured when they grow up. And he was always the sweetest-tempered, most generous-hearted boy in the world. (coughs) Elizabeth almost stared at her. Can this be Mr. Darcy? thought she. His father was an excellent man, said Mrs. Gardner. (laughs) yes ma'am that he was indeed and his son will be just like him just as affable to the poor elizabeth listened wondered doubted and was impatient for more mrs reynolds could interest her on no other point she related the subject of the pictures the dimensions of the rooms and the price of the furniture in vain Mr. Gardner, highly amused by the kind of family prejudice to which he attributed her excessive commendation of her master, soon led again to the subject, and she dwelt with energy on his many merits, and they proceeded together up the great staircase. He is the best landlord and the best master, said she, that ever lived. Not like the wild young men nowadays who think of nothing but themselves. There is not one of his tenants or servants but that will give him a good name. Some people call him proud, but I am sure I never saw anything of it. To my fancy, it is only because he does not rattle away like other young men. In what an amiable light does this place him, thought Elizabeth. This fine account of him, whispered her aunt as they walked, is not quite consistent with his behavior to our poor friend. Perhaps we might be deceived. That is not very likely. Our authority was too good. 
On reaching the spacious lobby above, they were shown into a very pretty sitting room, lately fitted with greater elegance and lightness than the apartments below, and they were informed that it was but just done to give pleasure to Miss Darcy, who had taken a liking to the room when last at Pemberley. He is certainly a good brother, said Elizabeth, as she walked towards one of the windows. Mrs. Reynolds anticipated Miss Darcy's delight when she could enter the room. And this is always the way with him, she added. Whatever can give his sister any pleasure is sure to be done in a moment. There is nothing he would not do for her. I'm getting a little exhausted with Mrs. Reynolds, to be honest. Honestly, this is a lot. It's like, I mean, she's verging into the like class trader or if I were writing a fanfic fic, I'd be like so she and the uh, late Mr. Darcy shacked up and oh, she's man. actually Darcy's mother. Just like young Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> I just, I'm worried that she's gonna start like um, writhing on the ground in ecstasy <laughs> any second now. I mean, it is ridiculous. <laughs> He's the best landlord. The best man. The Everybody best thinks man. so. Everybody thinks so. <laughs> Ask anyone. <laughs> <laughs> the picture gallery and two or three of the principal bedrooms were all that remained to be shown. In the former were many good paintings, but Elizabeth knew nothing of the art. And from such as had already been visible below, she had willingly turned to look at some drawings of Miss Darcy's in crayons, whose subjects were usually more interesting and also more intelligible. In the gallery, there were many family portraits, but they could have little to fix the attention of a stranger. Elizabeth walked on in quest of the only face whose features would be known to her. At last, it arrested her. She beheld a striking resemblance of Mr. Darcy, with such a smile over the face as she remembered to have sometimes seen when he looked at her. She stood several minutes before the picture in earnest contemplation and returned to it again before they quitted the gallery. Mrs. Reynolds informed them that it had been taken in his father's lifetime. There was certainly at this moment, in Elizabeth's mind, a more gentle sensation towards the original than she had ever felt in the height of their acquaintance. The commendation bestowed on him by Mrs. Reynolds was of no trifling nature. What praise is more valuable than the praise of an intelligent servant? I mean, I think I understand the sentiment behind that sentence, but like... (laughs) Oh, Isabel. As a brother, a landlord, a master, she considered how many people's happiness were in his guardianship, how much pleasure or pain it was in his power to bestow. (laughs) This is reminding me of an intimate variation taken in hand. How much of good or evil must be done by him? Every idea that had been brought forward by the housekeeper was favorable to his character. And as she stood before the canvas on which he was represented, and fixed his eyes upon herself, she thought of his regard with a deeper sentiment of gratitude than it had ever raised before. She remembered its warmth and softened its impropriety of expression. When all of the house that was open to general inspection had been seen, they were turned downstairs and taking leave of the housekeeper were consigned over to the gardener who met them at a hall door. As they walked across the lawn towards the river, Elizabeth turned back to look again. 
Her uncle and aunt stopped also, and while the former was conjecturing as to the date of the building, the owner of it himself suddenly came forward from the road, which led behind it to the stables. They were within 20 yards of each other, and so abrupt was his appearance that it was impossible to avoid his sight. Their eyes instantly met, and the cheeks of each were overspread with deepest blush. He absolutely started, and for a moment seemed immovable from surprise. But shortly after recovering himself, advanced towards the party, and spoke to Elizabeth, if not in terms of perfect composure, at least of perfect civility. She had instinctively turned away, but stopping on his approach, received his compliments with an embarrassment impossible to be overcome. Had his first appearance, or his resemblance to the picture they had just been examining, been insufficient to assure the other two that they now saw Mr. Darcy, the gardener's expression of surprise on beholding his master must immediately have told it. They stood a little aloof while he was talking to their niece, who, astonished and confused, scarcely dared lift her eyes to his face and knew not what answer she returned to his civil inquiries after her family. Amazed at the alteration in his manner since they last parted, every sentence that he uttered was increasing her embarrassment, and every idea of the impropriety of her being found there, recurring to her mind the first few minutes in which they continued life together, were some of the most uncomfortable of her life. Nor did he seem much more at ease when he spoke. His accent had none of its usual sedateness, and he repeated his inquiries as to time, the time of her having left Longburn and of her stay in Derbyshire so often and in so hurried a way as plainly spoke the distraction of his thoughts. At length, every idea seemed to fail him, and after standing a few moments without saying a word, he suddenly recollected himself and took leave. The others joined her and expressed their admiration of his figure. But Elizabeth heard not a word and wholly engrossed by her own feelings followed them in silence. She was overpowered by shame and vexation. Her coming there was the most unfortunate, the most ill-judged thing in the world. How strange must it appear to him? In what disgraceful light might it not strike so vain a man? It might seem as if she had purposely thrown herself in his way again. Oh, why had she come? Or why did he thus come a day before he was expected? Had they been only ten minutes sooner, they should have been beyond the reach of his discrimination, for it was plain that he was that moment arrived, that moment alighted from his horse or his carriage. She blushed again and again over the perverseness of the meeting, and his behavior so strikingly altered. What could it mean? That he should even speak to her was amazing. But to speak to her with such civility, to inquire after her family. Never in her life had she seen his manners so little dignified. Never had he spoken with such gentleness as on this unexpected meeting. What a contrast did it offer to his last address in Rosings Park when he put his letter into her hand. She knew not what to think, nor how to account for it. God, that would be so embarrassing. Oh, just absolutely fucking awful. I don't know how she's going to land this plane. They had now entered a beautiful walk by the side of the water, and every step was bringing forward a nobler fall of ground, or a finer reach of the woods to which they were approaching. But it was some time before Elizabeth was sensible of any of it, and though she answered mechanically to the repeated appeals of her uncle and aunt, and seemed to direct her eyes to such objects as they pointed out, she distinguished no part of the scene. Her thoughts were all fixed on that one spot of Pemberley House, whichever it might be, where Mr. Darcy then was. 
She longed to know what, at that moment, was passing in his mind, in what manner he thought of her, and whether, in defiance of everything, she was still dear to him. Perhaps he had been civil only because he felt himself at ease, yet there had been that in his voice which was not like ease. Whether he had felt more of pain or pleasure in seeing her, she could not tell, but he certainly had not seen her with composure. At length, however, the remarks of her companions on her absence of mind roused her, and she felt the necessity of appearing more like herself. They entered the woods, and bidding adieu to the river for a while, ascended <laughs> some of the higher grounds, whence in spots where the opening of the trees gave the eye power to wander, were many charming views of the valley, the opposite hills, with the long range of woods overspreading many, and occasionally part of the stream. Mr. Gardner expressed a wish of going round the whole park, but feared it might be beyond a walk. With a triumphant smile, they were told that it was ten miles round. It settled the matter, and they pursued the accustomed circuit, which brought them again, after some time, in a descent amongst the hanging woods, to the edge of the water in one of its narrowest parts. They crossed it by a simple bridge, in character with the general air of the scene. It was a spot less adorned than they had yet visited, and the valley, here contracted into a glen, allowed room only for the stream and a narrow walk amidst the rough coppice wood which bordered it. Elizabeth longed to explore its windings, but when they had crossed the bridge and perceived their distance from the house, Mrs. Gardner, who was not a great walker, could go no farther, and thought only of returning to the carriage as quickly as possible. Her niece was, therefore, obliged to submit, and they took their way towards the house on the opposite side of the river in the nearest direction. But their progress was slow, for Mr. Gardner, though seldom able to indulge the taste, was very fond of fishing and was so much engaged in watching the occasional appearance of some trout in the water and talking to the man about them that he advanced but little. Whilst wandering on this slow manner, they were again surprised, and Elizabeth's astonishment was quite equal to what it had been at first by the sight of Mr. Darcy approaching them, and at no great distance. The walk being here, less sheltered than on the other side, allowed them to see him before they met. Elizabeth, however astonished, was at least more prepared for an interview than before, and resolved to appear and to speak with calmness. <laughs> Good plan. <laughs> if he really <laughs> intended to meet them. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be calm. Resolved. <laughs> it's good to have a strategy. For a few moments, indeed, she felt that he would probably strike into some other path. This idea lasted while a turning in the walk concealed him from their view. The turning passed. He was immediately before them. With a glance, she saw that he had lost none of his recent civility. And to imitate his politeness, she begun, as they met, to admire the beauty of the place. But she had not got beyond the words delightful and charming when some unlucky recollections obtruded and she fancied that praise of Pemberley from her might be mischievously construed. Her color changed and she said no more. Mrs. Gardner was standing a little behind and on her pausing, he asked her if she would do him the honor of introducing him to her friends. This was a stroke of civility for which she was quite unprepared and she could hardly suppress a smile at his being now seeking the acquaintance of some of those very people against whom his pride had revolted in his offer to herself. 
What will be his surprise, thought she, when he knows who they are? He takes them now for people of fashion. The introduction, however, was immediately made, and as she named their relationship to herself, she stole a sly look at him to see how he bore it. It was not without the expectation of his decamping as fast as he could from such disgraceful companions. That he was surprised by the connection was evident. He sustained it, however, with fortitude, and so far from going away, turned back with them and entered into conversation with Mr. Gardiner. Elizabeth could not but be pleased, could not but triumph. It was consoling that he should know that she had some relations for whom there was no need to blush. She listened most attentively to all that passed between them and gloried in every expression, every sentence of her uncle, which marked his intelligence, his taste, or his good manners. <laughs> oh, man. Looks like we got another Mrs. Reynolds on our hands. It's full of compliments. It's a little exhausting. Lots of compliments in this chapter. <laughs> the conversation st- soon turned upon fishing, and she heard Mr. Darcy invite him with the greatest civility, to fish there as often as he chose, while he continued in the neighborhood, offering at the same time to supply him with fishing tackle and pointing out those parts of the stream where there was usually most sport. Mrs. Gardner, who was walking arm in arm with Elizabeth, gave her a look expressive of her wonder. Elizabeth said nothing, but it gratified her exceedingly. The compliment must be all for herself. Her astonishment, however, was extreme, and continually she was repeating, Why is he so altered? From what can it proceed? It cannot be for me. It cannot be for my sake that his manners are thus softened. My reproofs at Hunsford could not work such a change as this. It is impossible that he should still love me. After walking some time in this way, the two ladies in front and two gentlemen behind, on resuming their places after descending to the brink of the river for the better inspection of some curious water plant, there chanced to be a little altercation. It originated in Mrs. Gardner, who, fatigued by the exercise of the morning, found Elizabeth's arm inadequate to to her support, and consequently preferred her husband's. Mr. Darcy took her place by her niece, and they walked on together. (laughs) Oh, Mrs. Gardner, you old so-and-so. After a short silence, the lady first spoke. She wished him to know that she had been assured of his absence before she came to the place, and accordingly began by observing that his arrival had been very unexpected. For your housekeeper, she added, informed us that you would certainly not be here till tomorrow, and indeed, before we left Bakewell... We understood that you were not immediately expected in the country. His steward had occasioned his coming forward a few hours before the rest of the party with whom he had been traveling. They will join me early tomorrow, he continued, and among them are some who will claim an acquaintance with you, Mr. Bingley and his sisters. Boo. It's crazy that uh, Jane Austen actually wrote that boo into the book. All the sisters? (laughs) Elizabeth answered only by a slight bow. She had opinions. Her thoughts were instantly driven back to the time when Mr. Bingley's name had been last mentioned between them. And if she might judge from his complexion, his mind was not very differently engaged. There is also one other person in the party, he continued after a pause, who more particularly wishes to be known to you. Will you allow me, or do I ask too much, to introduce my sister to your acquaintance during your stay at Lambton? The surprise of such an application was great indeed. 
It was too great for her to know in what manner she acceded to it. She immediately felt that whatever desire Miss Darcy might have of being acquainted with her must be the work of her brother. And without looking farther, it was satisfactory. It was gratifying to know that his resentment had not made him think really ill of her. They now walked on in silence, each of them deep in thought. Elizabeth was not comfortable. That was impossible. But she was flattered and pleased. His wish of introducing his sister to her was a compliment of the highest kind. They soon outstripped the others, and when they had reached the carriage, Mr. and Mrs. Gardner were half a quarter of a mile behind. Half a quarter? Four minutes? (laughs) We'll find out. Set a timer. Right now. (laughs) He then asked her to walk into the house, but she declared herself not tired, and they stood together on the lawn. At such a time, much might have been said. And silence was very awkward. She wanted to talk, but there seemed an embargo on every subject. At last, she recollected that she had been traveling. And they talked of Matlock and Dovedale with great perseverance. (laughs) Yet time and her aunt moved slowly. (laughs) (laughs) And her patience and her ideas were nearly worn out before the tete-a-tete was over. Right. On Mr. and Mrs. Gardner's coming up, they were all pressed to go into the house and take some refreshment. But this was declined, as they parted on each side with the utmost politeness. Mr. Darcy handed the ladies into the carriage, and when it drove off, Elizabeth saw him walking slowly towards the house. Ugh! I wish they would have just kissed. I don't care for Aunt and Uncle Saw. I'm beyond caring. I want them together. The observations of her uncle and aunt now began, and each of them pronounced him to be infinitely superior to anything they had expected. He is perfectly well-behaved, polite, and unassuming, said her uncle. There is something a little stately in him, to be sure, replied her aunt, but it is confined to his air and is not unbecoming. I can now say with the housekeeper that though some people might call him proud, I have seen nothing of it. I was never more surprised than by his behavior to us. It was more than civil. It was really attentive, and there was no necessity for such attention. His acquaintance with Elizabeth was very trifling. To be sure, Lizzie, said her aunt, he is not so handsome as Wickham, or rather he was not Wickham's countenance, for his features are perfectly good. But how came you to tell us that he was so disagreeable? Elizabeth excused herself as well as she could, said that she had liked him better when they met in Kent than before, and that she had never seen him so pleasant as this morning. She's doing a good job. I would be so frustrated. I would have just been like, ugh. Yeah. Are you sure it's not you, Lizzie? (laughs) With your favorite aunt and uncle being like, he's so much better than you said. Mm. (laughs) Lizzie, he's not as handsome as Wickham, or like his face isn't like quite the same or whatever, but like he's pretty handsome and he's pretty cool. We like him actually. We were just talking. Um, (laughs) Oh man. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Her uncle. God, he's such a good uncle. Um, But perhaps he may be a little whimsical in his civilities, replied her uncle. Your great men often are, and therefore I shall not take him at his word about fishing, as he might change his mind another day and warn me off his grounds. Elizabeth felt that they had entirely mistaken his character, but said nothing. From what we have seen of him, continued Mrs. Gardner, I really should not have thought that he could have behaved in so cruel a way by anybody as he had done by poor Wickham. 
He has not an ill-natured look. On the contrary, there is something pleasing about his mouth when he speaks, and there is something of dignity in his countenance that would not give one an unfavorable idea of his heart. But to be sure, the good lady who showed us the house did give him a most flaming character. I could hardly help laughing aloud sometimes, but he is a liberal master, I suppose, and that, in the eye of a servant, comprehends every virtue. I wonder what liberal master means in 1817. <laughs> I mean, just probably the same thing it means now, just like chill. Yeah, like he's not going to get into your business if you do a good job. He doesn't care and like clock in, clock out. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very worried, Isabeau, not much has changed in the last 300 years. That's kind of what it feels like. <laughs> a liberal master, I suppose, and that is in the eye of every servant comprehends every virtue. <laughs> He's not totally up their asshole <laughs> He's all the time. Not a dick. Elizabeth here felt herself called on to say something in vindication of his behavior to Wickham. Interesting. And therefore gave them to understand in as guarded a manner as she could that by what she had heard from his relations in Kent, his actions were capable of a very different construction, and that his character was by no means so faulty nor Wickham so amiable as they had been considered in Hertfordshire. In confirmation of this, she related the particulars of all the pecuniary transactions in which they had been connected, without actually naming her authority, but stating it to be as such as might be relied on. So funny that she's protecting, like, who? His cousin? Mm-hmm. So weird. I mean, maybe things have changed in 300 years, because I'd be like, his cousin told me, and I wouldn't feel bad. Mrs. Gardner was surprised and concerned, but as they were now approaching the scene of her former pleasures, every idea gave way to the charm of recollection, and she was too much engaged in pointing out to her husband all the interesting spots in its environs to think of anything else. Fatigued as she had been by the morning's walk, they had no sooner dined than she set off again in quest of her former acquaintance, and the evening was spent in the satisfactions of an intercourse renewed after many years' discontinuance. The occurrences of the day were too full of interest to leave Elizabeth much attention for any of these new friends, and she could do nothing but think, and think with wonder, of Mr. Darcy's civility, and above all, of his wishing her to be acquainted with his sister. Mm. What do you, We got to see Pemberley. Got to see Pemberley. Very tasteful gardens, just piss elegant, as my family would say. Beautiful parks, uh, full trout streams. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds fucking... Uh, liberal master. Sounds fucking great. Sounds like every dream I ever have about Pemberley. <laughs> it, it is a novel about houses so much. It is a novel about houses, yeah. Which is something that you and I talked about in our first... It might have been our very first theme when we did mm-hmm. January and we did all of the Pride and Prejudice true variations. And we talked about how the house was so important in that modern take that took place in Brooklyn. And we were like, what happens when like Longbourn or um, Netherfield or Pemberley is missing? Like what happens to a book about houses when you only have Pemberley or you only have Longbourn? And I think like that's part of what's interesting here. Um, Because, like, Darcy's different at Pemberley. Darcy is, yeah. It's strange because he he only spends, like, six months a year there. But what an interesting, different existence the Hoi, not the Hoi Polloi, the gentry had. 
back in the day. Um, yeah, he's different at Pemberley. And mm-hmm. it's kind of the first place where he he has a reputation that precedes him in a positive way. <laughs> yeah, flaming. <laughs> Austin is obviously a very good writer. And an example of this is how giddy I felt every time he walked in. Mm-hmm. And when he um, asked if he could introduce her to his sister... And, like, you don't need uh, Colin Firth in a wet shirt to pull that off, you know? Honestly, I think that's exactly, like, that's what I was thinking when you were reading it, where I'm like, oh, they caught him at the stables? Like, it's so much cuter and so much more real that, like, he's just gotten off his horse and he's, like, dusty and doesn't, like, feel good or whatever. And he's, like, got business to attend to. He's got to get his house ready for this party. And, like, here's Lizzie just showing up and she's just, like, embarrassed ten ways to Sunday. And he's, like... Like he, like the book says he actually started and like asks her the same question over and over. It's like, that's so much better than Colin Firth coming out of a pond. Like, yeah, a hundred percent. And honestly, it's better than catching Matthew McFadden at the piano with his sister. Like, it's so good just to be in the barn. Why are we not in the barn in all of this? Yeah, why do we keep blowing that off? I don't understand. And like the two meetings, oh, it's so, so it's good. so winsome. But I love, <laughs> I do think it's interesting how Lizzie goes from this kind of like assured, you know, country last to someone who's like, maybe I could run a giant fucking house. <laughs> Which is, it sounds way overly ambitious for her. <laughs> Yeah. She's like, ah, it's a, it's a little bit out of her wheelhouse. It also kind of explains why Darcy wanted so much to believe that she was worldlier than she was. Mm-hmm. Um, because to marry him would clearly require a higher degree of housemanship. <laughs> than she's accustomed to or has seen in her lifetime? Yeah, for sure. So maybe all of those fan fictions and enhancements that have her, like, miserable at Pemberley right after this are pretty spot on. That seems right to me, though. I know, and, like... 100%, yeah. There wouldn't be, like, a ton of people to hang out with other than Darcy, like... And as much as she likes walking, you can't, like, walk all the time. Because she would have duties. Yeah. Gosh, I... I really hope they don't end up together. I mean, really, for Lizzie's sake, yeah. <laughs> for Lizzie's sake, yeah. I really hope they could like, find another path forward. A nice librarian type. I hope she meets someone else at the last minute. <laughs> yeah, or just like her dad. She seems to really like that guy. I guess she's less than less so. I also feel like Jane Austen has addressed every grievance we've come up against. I feel a little, I feel outwitted at every turn in this book. It is weird. I mean, I like, and maybe that has something to say about... To be humbled. (laughs) The staying power of this. Because, like, the other thing that's so crazy is, like, this book is written in... 1817. And the fizzy feeling I got when you're reading about how embarrassed Lizzie feels about, like, why did we go to the house? If we'd left 10 minutes sooner, he wouldn't have even been here. What is he doing here? Everyone told us he wouldn't be here. Gosh. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I can't believe it. This is so untoward. He obviously thinks 
I'm a Looney Tune. So good and so recognizable and so timeless and just amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. And there's something about like all of Austin's heroines and like their need to be uh, cool. Mm hmm. And it manifests in different ways, but it's all like this striving to like be a kind of person who can be who is worthy of love. And then except I think Anne in persuasion is maybe a little bit different. Um, she seems to know who she is and not really worry so much about it. But I think like she's also the only one who's had a big heartbreak. Mm hmm. Who's been through it, yeah. I mean, honestly, in that way, that makes Lizzie, or not Lizzie, that makes Darcy and Anne from Persuasion more alike than not. He's he's had a a hardship, but... You wouldn't call it a heartbreak when she refuses him at (laughs) Oxford? That's true. I was thinking of when his sister ran off. At Ramsgate. I also love Lizzie's, like, petty little, oh, someone who went to Ramsgate. <laughs> right? Where it's like, Mrs. Oh, Miss Darcy always spends the summers, and then Lizzie aside to herself, except when she's in Ramsgate. Like, that's so petty. It is, it's so <laughs> shitty. God, Lizzie's so... And, like, that's the part of Lizzie that's most relatable, and I think the part that, of her that's most erased from screen. Yeah, I think it's, like... I think it's those moments where she stumbles. Like, you and I got into that argument about whether or not it was embarrassing how she spoke to Mr. Darcy at the piano. And I was like, she looks like she's such a tryhard. And you were like, no, she's giving an impassioned speech. And I think it's that slippage and, like, these moments of, like, um, ambiguity or just, like, alienation and bad feeling that is actually what makes Lizzie a resonant person but it's it's so true and it's so raw that who who would ever be like I'm just like Lizzie in that I think petty mean things (laughs) to make myself feel better at a big fancy house even though that's what's happening Mm -hmm. Totally. I'm the Lizzie that like a rich man wants to fall in love with and thinks is worldly even though I've never been above 50 miles outside of Meriton. Yeah, exactly. That's who everyone wants to be, but everyone actually is. Well, when she went to Ramsgate. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, with that, tighten your prides because people are starting to think you don't even have pride. Yeah. Darcy. And loosen your prejudices. The gardeners seem great, and you totally get that, Darcy, so... Woli guacamole, everyone! Thanks for listening to another episode of Womance. Womance is hosted, produced, and edited by my friend Morgan. And by my friend Isabel. Our logo artwork is by another friend, Mary Reichman. You can find her on Instagram at m.reichman, spelled R-E-I-S-C-H-M-A-N-N. Original music by Nick Gravelin. And our webmistress is Jane Bonzak. They're the best. You're also the best. We so appreciate your support by listening. Please consider taking this to the next level by following, rating, and reviewing. We read every single review. Or even check us out on Patreon. If you'd like more woe in your life, you can connect with us on Instagram at womance and on Twitter where we are at mans underscore woe. Or you can find more episodes and content at womancepodcast.com. 
If you have an idea or just want to reach out, please email womancemail at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Womance is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts to add to your romance collection at frolic.media backslash podcasts. Until next time.